Hi there, and welcome to the media ministry of River Bible Church. I'm Pastor Dustin Daniels, inviting you to visit our website to download today's sermon notes. You can sign up for our newsletter and also submit a prayer request. We would love to pray for you and answer any questions that you may have. For more information, visit riverbible.org. Now let's open up the Word of God together for today's message. Well, we're continuing our study of Matthew's Gospel today. And for the last two weeks, we have examined the first two Beatitudes. These Beatitudes begin the greatest sermon ever preached. It's called the Sermon on the Mount by Jesus Christ Himself. These Beatitudes, really they're a group of statements that start with, blessed are. So Jesus says, blessed are the poor in spirit. Last week, blessed are those who mourn. And today, blessed are the humble, or blessed are the meek. So Jesus uses this word blessed as a divine blessing. Uh, It's a happiness that can only come from heaven. Jesus reiterates this idea of a divine blessing nine times in the first 12 verses. And last Sunday, we looked at verse 4. So let's take a look at that again. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Now, we usually have several takeaways, what I like to call key points each week. But last Sunday, we didn't have one. We didn't have two or three. We had ten. We had ten uh, key points. And I just think that's so cool. That is so amazing. Out of one statement of the Lord Jesus that we can have 10 uh, points of application in our lives. Why so much application from this one verse? Well, the writer of Hebrews tells us, Hebrews 4.12, for the word of God is living. That's why we get so much application from it. It's living, it's effective, it is sharper than any double-edged sword, penetrating as far as the separation of the soul and the spirit, the joint and the marrow. It is able to judge the thoughts and our, and our intentions of the heart. So the fact that there are so many things to ponder from just one sentence in Scripture, man, it just proves that you cannot wear this book out, you know? And that's why our middle name is Bible. So let's review from last week here. A couple key points, not all of them, just a couple from last week to get us started. We said that there is a type of human sadness that leads to divine happiness. Sadness comes when we mourn over our sin before a holy God. And we discussed how, uh, key point number two, how God designed us to shed tears. Crying is nothing to apologize for. It, what it does is it releases the pain in our lives. It's, it's, a, it's part of God's design and the healing process. We said that biblical mourning focuses on God. It doesn't focus on ourselves. It doesn't focus on our sin either. It focuses on God. And then we also discussed how we are starting to see a progression now of how divine happiness is based on our obedience So as we look at verse 4 again, blessed are those who mourn, 
for they will be comforted. So the action of mourning, it leads to God's blessing. So in other words, God's comfort, it comes after we mourn our sin. So we got to obey the first part of the verse to receive the blessings of the second. As our mourning leads to God's comfort, it's God's comfort that leads to our happiness or our blessedness. And then we asked this question. We said, why is there happiness when we mourn over our sin? Key point number four from last week, mourning over our sin, what it does is it purges us or it purges our guilt from sin. Mourning over our sin, it purges our guilt from sin. So God doesn't want us dragging a suitcase of all this guilt uh, running around with us for the rest of our lives. That's why confession is so important. We don't, we don't stay in this place of mourning over the same sin. We don't sulk over it. We don't beat ourselves up over that. We are told that we are to mourn our sin. We are to confess that sin. And we are to make things right as, as far as it depends on us. But then we move on. How do we know this? Because the Apostle Paul tells us. Philippians 3.13. He says, forget what is behind and reach forward to what is ahead. So we don't stay in this place. Now, I don't know about you guys, but the things running around in my mind, it seems like the Lord continues to bring up new things for me to deal with and mourn, lay those things at the foot of the cross, and then move on. I'm the only one doing this? Okay. All right. I was just checking. <laughs> I must be doing something wrong. Mourning our sin, it, it, it sets up the, the next beatitude today. So over the past three weeks, we've learned that spiritual poverty, it leads to a spiritual sadness. Today's spiritual sadness, it leads to another characteristic of the Christian life. And that is spiritual meekness. Jesus said this, Matthew eleven twenty nine, 29. Take up my yoke and learn from me. Why? Because I'm... I'm lowly, I'm gentle, I'm meek, I'm humble in heart, and you're going to find rest for your souls. Now, we know that Jesus is gentle, meek, and humble, but when Jesus was preaching this sermon to the disciples, they had no idea. They were not used to this concept of meekness and humbleness at all. So let me give you just a little bit of background here, uh, really to the world that the disciples were living in before we look at this beatitude. One of the primary things to know is that the Jews, they were expecting a conquering king. They were looking for a mighty Messiah to deliver them out of the hands of the Romans. So the Messiah, that, that's, that's God's anointed one. That's, that's God's anointed man. The Jews, they thought that their Messiah would come to set them free from the political bondage that they've lived in most of their lives. The Jews clearly understood military power. They knew that their military power came from Yahweh. So the Jews, what they did is they reveled in the, the glory days of Joshua. Josh, man, he, he led the whole nation by conquering all these pagan cities as they entered the promised land. But unfortunately, the, the Jews' misunderstanding of their Hebrew Bible, it led them to believe something that wasn't true. They thought that this freedom from, this, from the Messiah 
would come through more power and more violence and more shed blood because that's what they were used to. So when Jesus arrived on the scene, he shocks them by preaching, blessed are the poor, the poor in spirit. So he's revealing their own spiritual pride. He says, blessed are those who mourn. He's revealing a godly response to their spiritual pride. And then today, blessed are the humble or the meek. So Jesus is going to reveal how we are to live a life that's actually worth living. A godly life that, that leads to a heavenly inheritance. But the Jews, they, they didn't want this meek, mild, gentle, gentle Messiah. They, you know, you think about it. What kind of leader can be meek and mild and have the power, right, that's needed to lead these guys out of the hands of the Romans? This beatitude is shocking because the Jews spent much of their time defending their own holiness, their own self-righteousness. So this beatitude of humility and meekness really was a joke to the Jews. And you know what? It's one of the reasons that they eventually murdered him. They didn't want meek and mild Jesus Christ. They wanted a zealot like Jesus Barabbas. Barabbas is who they got. But the good news for us, the non-Jews, because we're Gentiles, the good news for us is that we kind of got Jesus on the rebound. Jesus said, fine, you guys don't want me. I'll go to the Gentiles. I'm going to talk to you guys in riddles from this point forward, right? Parables. And since we got G, aren't we lucky that we got Jesus on the rebound? <laughs> uh, because we got him on the rebound, we're not going to ignore his words today. We want to put Jesus's words into practice. We want to experience God verse by verse this morning so that we can share the gospel day by day. So with that introduction, if you would, please stand for the reading and the honoring of God's word. Starting in verse 1 of chapter 5, when Jesus saw the crowds, he went up on the mountain, and after he sat down, his disciples came to him. And then he began to teach them, saying, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for the kingdom of heaven is theirs. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Blessed are the humble, for they will inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. Blessed are the merciful, for they will be shown mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. And blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called sons of God. And blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness, for the kingdom of heaven is theirs. And this is the word of the Lord for us here at River Bible Church this morning. Please be seated. Thank you. Let's take a deeper look here at verse 5. Blessed are the humble, for they will inherit the earth. So Jesus starts this beatitude, this proclamation of truth by paraphrasing the Old Testament. Psalm 37, 11. The psalmist writes, but the humble will inherit the land and will enjoy abundant prosperity. So that Hebrew word for humble there is anav. And it implies power that's under control. 
Your translation may read, blessed are the meek or blessed are the gentle. Uh, meekness is slightly different than humbleness. Although these, these English terms, they do overlap. Uh, it is important to see the difference here. So let's take a look. Humility, it deals with how we see ourselves. Humility is the opposite of, of pride and arrogance. Meekness, on the other hand, it means to get low or to be low. So meekness is humility, but it has an added ingredient to it, and that is gentleness. And it's that gentleness when we're low that lifts up others. That's where we serve others. The Greek term for humility and meekness is praes. And praes paints a picture. It has a lots, uh, lots of painting. So let me just kind of start with, with one here. Um, the first one is of nature. Something that is mild, like a pleasant breeze on a hot and humid day. Um, that's, a, that's a picture of meekness. Why? Because meekness is refreshing. There's a, a medicinal uh, example. When we use medicine correctly, that's a form of meekness. Because if you misuse medicine, it has the power to make you sick. It has the power to kill you. There's a, a picture of, of jurisprudence, right? Where, where our, our government should be gentle with its own people, but it needs to be cautious with others. Maybe even stern with others so that it can protect its own. But I think the best picture of meekness or praes, it, it comes from the animal kingdom. And think of, of the power and the beauty of a wild horse, like this stallion. Meekness points to when the animal's been broken. So there's still that same amount of power within, the, within that animal, but meekness displays all of that power, but the power is now under the control of its master. The Greeks valued this virtue of meekness and gentleness as long as there was compensating strength. So this idea of meekness today, it comes from a lot of misunderstanding. Um, and we rarely, and if ever, really kind of use that term meek in our own vocabulary. But it is, it is an important term because if we don't understand this beatitude, we're going to read it and we're just going to roll our eyes like, I don't want to be meek. Uh, because we tend to think that meekness is weakness. And dear friends, it's not. It's anything but that. We're inclined to believe that, that meekness describes someone who doesn't have a backbone. That is not the biblical concept at all. It's not spinelessness. Meekness doesn't mean someone has a soft personality. Instead, it means that a, it has a person that has a soft heart. It's a person who loves people. Those who are meek are actually very strong people, strong-willed people. But see, they refuse to dominate others, even though they could, if they wanted to. The meek person doesn't assert himself over others. Once again, he gets low, and he lifts people up. Jesus washing the disciples' feet, that's an example of meekness, right, in John 13. Jesus even washed the feet of Judas. Perfect example of meekness. So that brings us to key point number one. Meekness is a definitive quality of a strong person. 
Meekness is a definitive quality of a strong person. And we see this all throughout the Old Testament. Micah, Micah 6, 8, probably the most famous Bible verse in Micah, right? The Lord has told you what is good, and this is what he requires of you. We are to do what is right. We are to love mercy, and we are to walk humbly with our God. We see how meekness and humility are the fruits of salvation. Look at this. The psalmist writes in Psalm 149, for the Lord takes pleasure in his people. He adorns the humble with salvation. So in other words, God clothes his people with humility and eternal life. We also can't witness without meekness and, and humility. 1 Peter 3.15, Pete says, Be ready at any time to give a defense to anyone who asks you for a reason, the hope that's, that's in you. And yet, you want to do this with gentleness. You want to do this with reverence. Meekness is a prerequisite to God's blessing. Isaiah says, I will look favorably on this kind of person. What kind is that? One who is humble, one who is submissive in spirit, and one who trembles at my word. And it's this kind of person that God chooses to be his leaders throughout Scripture. So let's look at meekness and humility in action today. Let me give you a couple of examples. In the book of Numbers, we read a story about Aaron and Miriam. Aaron and Miriam are the brother and the sister of Moses, and they start talking. They start to run their mouths, right? They like to just hear the sound of their own voice, and they start to complain about Moses. We pick up the story here in Numbers 12. So they said, so Aaron and Miriam are having this conversation. Moses says to Miriam, hey, does the Lord speak only through Moses? And Miriam goes, yeah, I don't think so. Does he not also speak through us? So they're talking about this, right? Look at the last sentence. And the Lord heard it. Uh-oh is right. Uh-oh. Now the man Moses was very meek. Interesting wording there. He wasn't just meek. He was very meek. More than all the people who were on the face of the earth. Dang. And suddenly the Lord said to Moses and to Aaron and to Miriam, Hey guys, come on out here. We're going to have a little chat. So God literally has a come to Jesus meeting with Aaron and Miriam. And what Moses does is he watches God defend him. Why does God defend Moses? Because Moses doesn't defend himself. Moses is meek. He doesn't need to. And the reason that, that Moses is meek is the reason that God looks favorably upon him and defends him. Remember the, the calling of Moses, the whole burning bush episode? Yahweh tells Moses, all right, Moses, listen up. You're my guy. You're, you're the chosen man. You're going to deliver millions of people from slavery. And in Exodus 3.11, uh, can't you just p picture Moses going, um, time out. Question. Who am I? Who am I that I should go to Pharaoh and that you want me to bring all these people out of slavery? 
So in other words, Jesus, or uh, Jesus, Moses is saying, you got the wrong guy, God. You got the wrong guy. You got to keep looking. Remember the whole golden calf incident? Moses and Joshua, they were on Mount Sinai. They're with Yahweh, okay, on Mount Sinai. They're with the one true living God. They're receiving the Ten Commandments. And while Moses and Josh are up on the mountain, the rest of the Israelites, they get bored. They're getting impatient at the bottom of the hill. And someone has this great idea. We're going to throw a party. We got nothing else to do. Things quickly get out of control. All the creative types, all the artists in the group, what do they do? Ah, let's build this calf, this, this golden calf. Exodus 32, 19, as Moses approached the camp, he saw, he saw the calf, and then he saw the dancing. No, they're definitely not Baptist, right? <laughs> Moses became enraged, and he threw the tablets out of his hands that were pinned by the finger of God, by the way, and he smashes them at the base of the mountain. He took the calf that they had made, he burned it up, he ground it into powder, and he scattered the powder over the surface of the water, and he forced the Israelites to drink the water. You think, well, wait a second, man, I thought a meek person wasn't supposed to get angry. Meek people do get angry, but it's for the right reason. Why would Moses take the time to burn gold into powder and make them drink it? How long does that take? The reason he did it was because God's own people disrespected the one true living God. Moses will not tolerate people disrespecting God. So Moses provides a natural laxative so they can think things over. What he did. <laughs> King David, he's another meek man. He's not a perfect man, either is Moses. We see King David, King David struggle with his, his power at times. But there is a little story here tucked in, in 2 Samuel that really does show the overwhelming humility of David. Let me show you this. 2 Samuel chapter 16. When King David got to Bahurim, a man belonging to the family of the house of Saul was coming out. His name was Shimei, son of Gera, and he was yelling curses as he approached. All right, so time out. This little story in the Bible, it's rated R. Shimei is some kind of upset. So he's not only screaming profanities at David, but look, look what he does next. He threw stones at David. And at all of his royal servants, these people, uh, the people, and then the warriors on David's right and on his left. So Shimei is physically assaulting Marines. He's either a complete idiot or he's so mad he can't think straight. Verse 7, Shimei said, as he cursed, get out, get out. Beep, 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 you man of beep, bloodshed. The Lord has paid you back. Mm -hmm. This is what's going on, David. He's paid you back for all the blood of the house of Saul, whose place that you became king, and the Lord has handed the kingdom over to your son. That's how bad a king you are, David. Absalom now reigns. 
He says, you're in trouble because you're a man of bloodshed. And then Abishai, he says to David, hey, why should this dead dog curse my lord the king? Let me, uh, let me go over there and remove his head. <laughs> Abishai sounds like a young David with Goliath, doesn't he? Now, I don't, know, I don't know about you guys, but I like Abishai. He's a man of conviction. The king replies, so David says, hang on, he curses me this way because the Lord told him to. The Lord told him to. He said, curse David. Then David said to Abishai and all of his servants, he said, look, guys, my own son intends to take my life. How much more this Benjamite? How much more this guy? You can't blame him. Just leave him alone. Let him curse me because that's what the Lord told him to do. Now, question, what would you have done if you were David? I'm assuming most of us would have said, Sick him, Abishai. Sick him. And if we didn't say it, we'd be thinking it, right? Y'all are too holy for me this today. <laughs> I'm zero for two. David didn't do that. He revealed that he was a man of meekness, a man who knew how to control his own emotions and, and power. David did not care to defend himself. David didn't feel the need to defend his own reputation. He didn't try to talk things out or convince Shimei to do anything. David chose not to focus on himself, but to focus on God. And that is absolutely amazing. In other words, David said, you know what, guys? Maybe God told him to call me names. Maybe, maybe I need to be humbled by God today. Maybe, maybe this is a test. So those are a couple Old Testament examples. Let's move to the New Testament now. Our Lord Jesus was the perfect example of power under control. So let's look at some theology, some Christology today. Um, when we look at the person and the work of Jesus Christ, we cannot help but think, or really to see, his power that's under control. The Apostle Paul writes this in Philippians. He says, we are to adopt the same attitude. Today it's meekness. There's lots of attitudes here, but meekness is our theme. Adopt the same attitude of meekness as that of Christ Jesus, who, existing in the form of God, see, he did not consider equality with God something as to be exploited. So in other words, Jesus did not use his power to crush people. He used it to save people. And we see how Jesus does this in verse 7. So Jesus emptied himself by assuming the form of a servant. He took on the likeness of humanity. And when he had, become, when he had come as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death and even death on a cross. And because Jesus was meek, he's going to come back now as a conquering king. One of the most famous stories about meekness in the Gospels is when Jesus cleans out the temple for the first time. John chapter 2, uh, the Jewish Passover was near, so Jesus went up to Jerusalem. 
in the temple, he found people. They were selling oxen. They were selling sheep. They were selling doves. And he also found the money changers sitting there. So Jesus goes up there and he sees that people are not using the temple as God designed it. Instead of praying, they're using the temple for their own benefit. So what's Jesus do next? He sees all this stuff going on. (laughs) Verse 15, after making a whip out of cords, Jesus drove everyone out of the temple with their sheep and with the oxen. All right, time out. So let's get this straight. Jesus becomes angry and makes a weapon. Wow. Why does he do this? Because the religious leaders have turned the temple into a shopping mall. They have disrespected the Father, and that kind of disrespect, it comes with consequences. So Jesus, he goes all Indiana Jones on these guys, and he gets them out of the temple. Verse 15, Jesus also poured out the money changers' coins and overturned the tables. And he told those selling doves, you guys get these things out of here. His disciples remembered that it's written, zeal for your house will consume me. See, the the zeal that Jesus had was for his father. It wasn't for himself. Jesus wasn't drawing attention to himself. His power was unleashed because of the blatant sin and the disrespect for his father's house. So notice what meekness does here. Jesus shows strength when strength is needed, but when it wasn't needed, Jesus was gentle. He goes low to lift people up. Think about the woman at the well. Think about the woman who committed adultery. So it's in these examples here where we see meekness in action, and really all of these narratives, they say the same thing. Key point number two for today. Meekness is not the absence of self-confidence and self-assertiveness. It's the absence of self. Meekness is not the absence of self-confidence and self-assertiveness. This doesn't mean as Christians we're doormats. It does mean that it's the absence of self. We allow the Lord God Almighty to work through us as we get low to love on people. We see this again and again when when Jesus rode into Jerusalem on Palm Sunday. Jesus did not ride in on a white stallion charging in as this conquering king like Solomon did. Instead, Jesus rode in on a donkey. A donkey. He's got no army. He's got no earthly crown. And yet, it's Jesus. He's the one that spoke the whole cosmos into existence. Wow. (laughs) Another great example is the night that Jesus got arrested. Um, Peter pulls out a a sword, starts whacking people's ears off. Y'all remember that? And Jesus says, hey, Pete, what are you doing? What are you doing? Don't you realize all I have to do is just call on my father and he's going to give me 12 legions of angels? Twelve legions, a Roman legion is 6,000 men. 6,000. It's also recorded in in 2 Kings 19 that one angel killed 185,000 pagan soldiers. So, if we do the math there, Jesus has 72,000 angels at his disposal. 
In other words, Pete, thanks, but no thanks. I don't need your help. I got it. It's all under control. Why didn't Jesus call on his father? Because he's meek. He has all the power, and all of his power is under his control. A meek person seeks the glory of God above everyone and everything else. And Jesus did exactly that. Look at this. Zephaniah. When's the last time you were in Zephaniah in your devotional time? Zephaniah 2.3. Seek the Lord, all you humble of the earth, who carry out what he commands. We are to seek righteousness. We are to seek humility as we seek the Lord. See, the the child of God pursues meekness and strives for humility. The proud person does not. And that's why the world spends so much time defending themselves. Key point number three, proud people will always disobey God and disrespect others by defending themselves. Proud people will always disobey God, disrespect others, By defending themselves. See, it's the world that justifies sinful behavior. It's the world that defends their rights. It's the world that serves their own needs. And yet, on the other hand, a meek person, what he does is he defends God no matter the personal cost to him. Doesn't matter if it's embarrassing. Doesn't matter if it's persecution. A meek person doesn't defend himself, but he will die defending God. God can't do anything with someone who is not meek because at the end of the day, humility really is about the sovereignty of God. Do I trust God with my life? A meek person trusts God and realizes that he is, he's not in control of the outcomes. God is. Many, many times, you know, we think we're in control, but, many, but really it's the illusion of control that we have. Back to verse 5. Blessed are the humble, for they will inherit the earth. So they, uh, that pronoun there is emphatic. It's autos. Um, It shows us that the only, only those people who are meek and humble will inherit the earth. A meek person will receive his allotted portion. He will receive his inheritance. Now that's the positive side. There is a negative side to all of this. And the negative side is that those who are proud and arrogant won't. They won't receive that. The the proud and the arrogant and the unrepentant person, they inherit something else. And that is eternal judgment in a very real place called hell. So the question becomes, all right, am I passing this test of meekness? Am I passing this test of humility? So when I look into the rearview mirror of my life, Do I see this characteristic of meekness? Maybe another question is this. How do we know? How do we know if we're meek? I think the answer to these questions lies in more questions. So let me ask you this. How do I respond when I'm offended? How do I respond when I'm offended? Someone just blurt out an answer. How do you respond? I'm kidding. How do you, how do I, what do I do when someone disrespects me? Do I say, 
Sick him, Abishai. You're going to disrespect me? I'm going to remove your head. Or do I respond like King David did? Don't worry, guys. Let it go. Let him curse me. Who cares? Who cares? We look at our culture today. We look at the world today. And it just, everybody is so easily offendable, aren't we? Aren't we? And that's why we're so angry. And dear friends, I don't want you to walk out of here angry. I want you to walk out of here knowing the difference between meekness and humility and realizing, so what? So what if someone calls you names? So what, so what if someone disrespects you? Pray for that person. We don't act like the world as the church. Let's get low. Let's lift people up. Let's pray for them. Amen? Amen. All right, guys, please stand for today's prayer and benediction. Father in heaven, thank you for teaching us about spiritual meek this, this morning. Thank you for teaching us about humility. We have so much to learn from you, and, and Father, we do pray for these God intersections and these divine disruptions to our lives so that we will work these things out with fear and trembling. In the meantime, Lord God, we do pray for your son to come back. And our benediction today comes from Revelation chapter 5. Worthy is the lamb who was slain to receive power and wealth and wisdom, honor and glory and blessing to him who sits on that throne, to the lamb be blessing and honor and glory and might forever and ever. Amen. Amen. Come, Lord Jesus.